Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.19 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 24th of January, 2022. This is episode 531 of Bitcoin. And don't mind the blood in the streets. It, you know, especially the, the, the torrents in the gutters. You may, if, if you have like a, a long 12-foot board that you can put on the curb and get, that way you can walk across the, the bones and skulls and pieces of hair and innards and like all kinds of organs and all the blood that's flowing down. Don't mind that shit. Just jump across the damn street, get your board, get up, get on the street and just walk your happy ass towards, you know, whatever it is that you were going for in the first damn place. Because this, this whole market dump, is something in in my opinion i don't think we've actually ever seen this style of market dump before this is new i i may be wrong i mean you can go talk to tone vase and you can go talk to dylan leclerc you can go talk to all those ta guys and they'll probably tell you that i'm completely full of shit and i very well may be because i just don't know what the hell i'm talking about but i've been in the game since 2015 i've never seen anything like this right? <clears throat> Am I worried? No, not particularly. I mean, if, if dude, if Bitcoin dies or something like that, and I don't think it will, I never have, then we're in a lot more trouble than just, I don't know, have, we're in a lot more trouble than we will be having fun staying poor because we'll be beyond poor. If, if, the, if the people in Congress and the governments around the world are able to declare themselves as monetary or declare monetary sovereignty over all the peoples of the planet, then we have a lot more problems to worry about than whether or not your bags got deflated. There's, there are reasons why I'm in this game. One of them, yeah, I'd like to have enough purchasing power and more to be able to shave off like, you know, a tenth of my Bitcoin holdings and buy a piece of land and just basically disappear. But I'm in it for more than that. And I hope you are too. We need our monetary sovereignty. We have to have it. Going forward as a human species, we are at a turning point in the history of the human species. And yes, I know the universe is replete with turning points. And yeah, it is. And this is one of them, by the way. We, we are at yet another turning point and it's just as important as all the other turning points that we've ever had. If we let this shit get to us and we all bail out, then, we, then basically what we've done is we've handed the keys of the kingdom to the very people that have held the keys of the kingdom that have gotten us to this point for the last, oh, I don't know what, 5,000 years? Because for some reason, humans have this really inexplicable quality of just handing over their sovereignty to somebody that they trust. And it's become clear over 5,000 years that nobody is to be trusted. Not, not with your security, not with your sovereignty, not with your freedom, not with anything, <laughs> anything at all. I mean, you don't trust anybody anywhere with anything unless they are family and friends. And even then you can find yourself getting in trouble. I've seen it happen in my own family. A family member of mine fucked over two or three people in my family and they were blood. So even in your family, it's, it becomes very difficult to continue to trust people. And yet we just continue to trust people. And now it looks <clears throat> like we're about to go to war in Russia with the whole Russia into Ukraine thing. We've deployed a couple of fleets. 
they're probably already there by by the way by the time that they tell us that they're steaming towards uh you know the baltics and whatnot like that um then they're probably already there they're probably already in the med they're probably already hanging out off the coast of syria turkey they're probably already on the north side of uh the ukrainian region what what to say about it i don't know it's killing the markets we'll get to that when we run the numbers but before we do that i want to remind you if you want to support the show uh, you can do that via podcasting 2.0. It's a good plan to get familiar with what's going on with podcasting 2.0 because, as I've said of, on several occasions, it's not going to just remain with podcasting. What is podcasting 2.0? It's the ability for you to stream me value in the format of Satoshi's direct to my lightning node without anybody in between while you listen to these dulcet tones of Bitcoin and it happens in real time. You can set it to where you stream one, two, three, ten, a hundred, a thousand sats per minute, and they just roll into my lightning node. And it's one of the most extraordinary things to see. Why do I say it's not going to remain with podcasting? Because it's going to go into video consumption or video content consumption. It's you're going to be. It's going to be paywalls. It's going to be like licensure for. Uh, uh, pieces of software that you use if you don't want to you know rent it for like 50 bucks a month and you just want to rent it for however long you're actually using it well we have the solutions for that and it's beginning with podcasting 2.0 and it's a great entry point to figure out how to run a lightning node how to open channels who to open channels with, why you need outbound liquidity, why you need specifically inbound liquidity, all that stuff. You end up with a cr in a crash course of being a lightning node operator if you do this, or rather if you go full bore into podcasting 2.0 like I have. However, it's not required for you to run a lightning node. Shit, no. All you need is like a Breeze wallet. All you need is like a fountain app which is a podcasting app with a wallet in it. All you need is uh, Sphinx Chat. There's like 20 podcasting 2.0 enabled apps that you can use to listen to podcasts. And if you, the podcast that you want to listen to is Bic or uh, podcasting 2.0 enabled, then you will be able to stream your favorite content creator, Satoshi's, inside the app with a wallet that is inside the app that you fund and know. You don't have to run a lightning node, but I highly recommend that you learn how to do that shit too, because it's the future. Now let's get into all of the crap that's going on. The SEC rejects MicroStrategy's Bitcoin accounting as MSTR shares hit a one year low. Now I started hearing about this on Friday afternoon, Walter Bloomberg uh, Twitter account, uh, as as per usual, puts out in all caps and absolutely no way to verify because he didn't add a link to any kind of news story um, about this uh, accounting rule rejection by the SEC. Now, that caused some serious problems starting on Friday. It was not the only problem, but it was one of the myriad problems that started the dump. Right, so uh, be prepared to buy the dip. Jeff Benson is going to tell us the details out of Decrypt.co. Think MicroStrategy, the Bitcoin hoarding software company, did well in 2021 as the price of BTC went from 29,000 to as high as 68. Well, not on paper, and not on the stock market today either, as its share prices hit the lowest level since December of 2020. Oh my God, we're all gonna die. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission nixed the company's accounting method, which would have allowed it to avoid using an impairment for Bitcoin. For all you non-CPAs, we got you. Under Generally Acceptable Accounting Practices, or GAAP, G-A-A-P, you have to adjust the value of Bitcoin on your balance sheet when the price goes down, which it did in between bull runs. This is called an impairment. If the price goes up, however, you make no such adjustment, meaning you can't claim your company is now worth more because the value of your crypto holdings went up. As Decrypt wrote back in July when discussing a $23 billion impairment in the second quarter of 2021 from Tesla's $1.5 billion Bitcoin buy, it's a quirk in accounting rules rather <clears throat> than an actual loss. 
Regardless, impairments affect the net worth of a company and its value in the eyes of investors. Quote, we object to your adjustment for Bitcoin impairment charges in your non-GAAP measures, the SEC Division of Corporation Finance wrote in a letter dated December the 3rd that was released yesterday. Quote, please revise to remove this adjustment in future filings. The company responded on December 16th that it would do so. This means that MicroStrategy's next quarterly earnings <clears throat> statement will show that the company is worth less on paper than currently claimed. MicroStrategy is ostensibly a cloud software com uh, company, but in the last two years, it has transformed itself into a de facto Bitcoin fund. Under CEO Michael Saylor, the publicly traded firm has bought up to 124,391 BTC since August of 2020, which are now worth approximately $4.5 billion. According to Saylor, the coins bought in chunks over time cost $3.75 billion to purchase, so they're still profitable in terms of unrealized gains, with more than half of the business's treasury held in Bitcoin at last count. Buying MSTR stock is one way for everyday investors to get exposure to the crypto asset. That exposure hasn't done it any favors today because Bitcoin lost 11% of its value in 24 hours. MSTR stock closed the day down even worse, sinking 18% to 375 bucks per share and continuing to decline in after hours trading. Yes, sir. -y. It surely is. And it's doing the same today as well as Tesla. So don't pick just on MSTR stock price. Now here's, here's sort of the deal. This is not that, this is not as much of a big deal as people think it is. This kind of shit happens all the time. I mean, it's it's just the fact that the news is covering it because if there's anything to be said poorly concerning Bitcoin, it's being said right now. And if I were you, I would gird your loins for an onslaught attack over this next year. All right? Okay? Do, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? We've got a year of shit ahead of us, and it's not just because of a normal bear market, which I wouldn't, I don't believe we would have been in had it not been for the culmination of the end of COVID, which the narrative has completely fallen apart, and the escalation of war in Eastern fucking Europe. Oh, joy. Just like magic. Just like magic. We go to, we're, we're going to tangle with Russia over Ukraine, which has no value to us whatsoever. Not in the United States, not honestly, not to any continent, the North American continent, the central and well, okay. Let's just say North America, Central America, and South America doesn't give a shit about what goes on in Ukraine. But we will send all, you know, a couple of freaking, you know, battle groups over there to defend Ukraine against Russia. If you can't read through the narrative, I can't help you. It is a distraction. They always do this. They know the economy is falling to pieces. The COVID narrative has fallen to pieces. Everything is falling to pieces. And the only thing that they can do is pull the patriotic card. Yeah, rah, rah, America against Russia. Again, we've been doing this since the 50s, y'all. Since 1950, we've had 70 years of saber rattling with Russia. It's just, you know, this, it's times like this that I actually miss Ronald Reagan. There's a lot of people that don't like Reagan. But honest to God, he actually had some of the better relations with Russia in the history of the United States relations with Russia since World War II. So prepare for an onslaught against Bitcoin while everybody's being distracted in the Russia-Ukraine thing. It's going to happen, mark my words. Now, Elon Musk slams Twitter NFT play amid ongoing spam bot activity. I was not able to get into this on Friday's show. I didn't have the time, but we're going to do it today. But this was off of uh, this was for Friday's show. 
Tesla and SpaceX boss Elon Musk took a swipe at Twitter for launching a new feature that allows users to use NFTs from their crypto wallets and add them as their profile pictures. The billionaire entrepreneur tweeted on Friday that the latest initiative was annoying and criticized the social media giant for failing to clean the platform of spam bots that post links to fraudulent crypto promotions and giveaways. By the way, this is written by Andrew Asmakov for Decrypt. Quote, Twitter is spending engineering resources on this BS while crypto scammers are throwing a spam bot block party in every thread. (laughs) Get a pause right there to remind everybody that he told people to get into Doge. Doge is now below 13 U.S. pennies. I'm just saying, talk about scammers. I mean, you know, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks and all that. Anyway, the San Francisco-based company said yesterday that it is rolling out a new feature that will let users verify ownership of the NFTs used in their profile pictures. Users first need to connect their NFTs via selection of wallets, including MetaMask, Rainbow, and Coinbase. For the time being, the new option is only available to users of Twitter Blue, a subscription service with exclusive access to premium features and app customizations. It is also limited to those using the platform on iOS. Some of Musk's followers, however, hit back, saying that the Tesla boss, quote, literally tasked teams of engineers to make it possible for the... (laughs) for the electric car manufacturer to begin accepting Dogecoin at the Tesla's online store. As was the case throughout 2021, when Musk tweeted encouraging posts about Dogecoin, the price of Doge skyrocketed. Last week was no different either. Following his announcement that users could now spend the popular meme cryptocurrency on Tesla merchandise, Dogecoin rose 16%. Still, Musk's concerns around crypto giveaways and scams on Twitter have merit, For years, phony accounts copy-pasting Musk's official profile have been set up to reply to his tweets promising to double the amount of Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other cryptocurrencies sent to their wallets. Beyond that, Twitter accounts of many celebrities and other high-profile people fell victim to hackers in the past with criminals promoting fake crypto giveaways. Despite Twitter taking measures and removing fake accounts, the problem still persists. Fake Elon Musk accounts are alive and well. Yeah, and BENND77 Twitter account got fucking shit canned on the 1st of January like some little redheaded stepchild bitch. Yeah, they they spent their time, you know, looking at me, but they didn't spend the time looking at the sheer amount, the sheer amount of crypto scams that are on Twitter. No, they're they're not concerned with that. They're not concerned with your well-being. What they are concerned about is people talking about Rona. They're talking, you know, and and I guarantee you we're going to see people get deleted off of Twitter for bad mouth and Biden's move to go over and and help Ukraine out with fucking Russia. It's going to be a bloodbath. You know, I'm that's why I'm trying to keep my nose clean and not say shit about COVID because I think that's one of the things that got me X'd off of Twitter. And I'm not going to say anything about Russia and I'm not going to go attack Biden. Instead, I'm going to try to issue good signal on this new Twitter account. And I started doing that, by the way, I have a thread. If for whatever reason you are interested in regenerative agriculture and would like to see a list of books and what they actually talk about and with links to a place to actually purchase said book with a few pictures of the book and what's inside, you can do that with the Twitter thread that I have and it is named... Uh, what the hell did I, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot what I named it. The Regenerative Agriculture Resources, uh, colon books thread. Okay. So this is all about books. I have a lot of resources. These are the books. I will have a separate thread that talks about who to go watch on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But this is just for the books thread. It is the Regenerative Agriculture Resources, colon books thread thread. That's the name of it. If you search for it, you'll get it. If you follow Ghost of Nunya, G-H-O-S-T-O-F-N-U, wait a minute, N-U-N-Y-A, all one word, Ghost of Nunya on Twitter, 
you can find it because it's pinned to my profile and it's it's really easy to find that way. Anyway, if you're interested in regenerative agriculture and where you can get some resources to, to read more about it, this is going to be the thread to, uh, for you. And I've got apparently some, uh, uh, well, not apparently, it's uh, one of my good Twitter friends uh, dropped me a massive, massive list of other things that I haven't seen and he wants me to incorporate it in the thread, but the point is that this thread is about books that I have actually read. So I'm going to be really busy reading all the materials that Homeboy sent me so that I can put it in and not just pass it off as my own work because it would not be right if I were to do that. Now, the NFT thing with Twitter. Oh, God, cringe. It's way cringe. Stop doing this shit, all right? Now, yes, you will tell me if you are an NFT fan that, well, you can't just copy paste, you know, right click, copy, copy and paste the, uh, the thing from somebody else's, you know, avatar into your own. Because if I, you know, look at your avatar that does, that isn't a valued or, or an actual NFT, then I don't get the list of information about what wallet is, you know, it's contained in and what the transaction was and all that kind of crap. And you know what? I could literally not give a shit. Why? Because NFTs basically are a URL or or is a pointer to a URL and the, I don't know, something like the international file thing, IFPS or whatever they call it, IFSP. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, some kind of interplanetary file network. If somebody gains access to wherever that NFT picture lives and decides to delete them all, your wallet and your transaction can point to whatever the fuck it wants to point to. And guess what's not gonna be there? Why? Because you never owned the NFT in the first place. You didn't own it. You did not own it unless the pixel information on a per pixel basis is actually inside the transaction itself. And that's not going to happen because why? That's a lot of data. Blockchains aren't good with saving lots of data. Just saying. This entire move by Twitter has two problems with it. One, it's cringe. Two, they executed it right before a deep plunge in all cryptocurrencies. That timing was absolutely gorgeous to me so that I can watch the fallout of people as they just scream to the hills. Oh my God, my value's dead. Ah. Good job, Twitter. Excellent work. Excellent work. That was, that, that was, that was brilliant on your part. Anyway, screw it. Bitcoin enters a value zone as BTC price floor metric goes green again. This is William Suberg, and he's writing it for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin has just re-entered a key price zone, which has signaled the beginning of the end for bear phases, data confirms. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. In a tweet on January 24th, Charles Edwards, founder of crypto investment firm Caprioli, flagged Bitcoin's network value to transaction ratio metric as it delivered a new and rare oversold signal. Bitcoin price losses accelerated over the weekend with the market not off, uh, not far off from a retest of the seminal $30,000 mark prior to Monday's Wall Street Open. Nonetheless, for on-chain analysts, there are plenty of reasons to believe that the extent of losses seen recently as more of a market overreaction than a taste of things to come. Supporting the thesis is NVT, or sorry, supporting that thesis is NVT, which calculates how overbought or oversold Bitcoin really is. NVT, first developed by statistician Wooly Wu and entrepreneur Dmitry Kalachikin, uses the ratio of Bitcoin's market capitalization to its daily on-transaction value to create an idea of whether price behavior really corresponds to on-chain activity. Edwards subsequently tweaked the metric by adding standard deviation bands to account for natural changes in on-behavior or on-chain behavior as Bitcoin matures. The result, the so-called dynamic range NVT, and it is this incarnation that returned to its green zone this week. 
Over the past two years, only summer 2021, the post-China mining ban period, and the coronavirus crash of March 2020 have produced such NVT behavior. Quote, valuing the Bitcoin network based on transaction value throughput suggests we have entered the value zone, Edwards commented on Twitter alongside a print of NVT's latest movements. Back on the spot market, others called into question the veracity of recent losses, even with BTC briefly exceeding minus 50% versus November's all-time highs, with two months being all that was required for some balances to have, trader, analyst, and podcast host Scott Melker, also known as the wolf of all streets, reminded followers that this is nothing new for Bitcoin. Quote, people have short memories. (laughs) Yes, they do. In May, Bitcoin went from 60K to 30K in 10 days. 10 days, he tweeted. As such, when it comes to knee-jerk reactions from crypto markets, the current drawdown in Melker's eyes is unremarkable. Sentiment, meanwhile, has been at or near the bottom of its historical range for several weeks. Hey, somebody check on the fear and greed indicator and get back with me. See if that thing's doing okay. It may very well have bottomed out past zero on the left-hand side. Again, for all of you people, or for all the people that are actually sitting out there saying, this is it, Bitcoin's dead, may I remind you of Bitcoin obituaries. And at this point, I believe the number is somewhere around 372 articles since its inception have been written that basically bemoan the death of Bitcoin. And I point your direction to the meme of Bitcoin standing in a six foot grave with just the bare part of its coin head sticking out saying this again, guys, while two guys are at surface level bemoaning the death of Bitcoin saying, why Bitcoin, why? Dude, this happens all the time. He's right. We have, Wolf of All Streets is right. We got some short, or actually maybe that was Scott Milker. I don't know. One of those guys said, we have short memories. We do, and it's not just about Bitcoin. I guarantee you, you're going to hear somebody say something about something from the coronavirus era from 2020 and the early part of 2021, and they're going to go, holy shit, I forgot all about that. We have short memories. That's by design, people. The television set, they call it programming for a reason, and it works. It's very effective at programming your ass. And what has it programmed us to do? Have very, very short memories, and that is basically for their benefit. Now, a vacation from Twitter. I picked this one up from Citadel21. That would be citadelthenumbers21.com magazine of renown. I won't get into why, but let me just say that I was there when they burned their servers down trying to sell volume one of Citadel 21, and it was a thing of beauty. This is written by Boner for Bitcoin, and he starts by saying, apparently, there are some communities on this Twitter thing that interact at high frequency, and apparently there is a community that is called Bitcoin Twitter, a.k.a. the Toxic Bitcoin Maximalist Online Paradise. Bitcoin Twitter is a world of its own. There are really no rules, although there are many common views on various topics outside of Bitcoin. It's a pretty loose network, aside from all the censorship bullshit, but that's another story. The community weeds out the bad actors fairly efficiently. Quote, okay, boner, what the fuck are you getting at? All we know... Uh, All we know what Twitter is and all we know what BT is, end quote. Not sure what that means, but whatever. I have repetitively displayed the gratitude that I have for BT and all that it has provided for me, especially during some tough times I've endured since I joined somewhere around April of 2020. Ah, 420. Good job, dude. It has been a very nice place for me to escape to every once in a while for a hit of social interaction with some like-minded people during the recent times of insanity. If only I could keep it to every once in a while. It is the 30th of December, 2021, and I'm doing some year-end self-evaluation reflection. Overall, did I perform my best this year? 
Not at all. Did I spend too much time on Bitcoin Twitter during certain periods, which led to this suboptimal performance? Yes. This does not sit right with me. I have a visual memory from about seven years back while sitting in a restaurant waiting area. All members of another family of five or so were each glued to their screens. Quote, I will never let my family reach that point, I thought to myself. And here we are with me being the worst offender. To be honest, my neck muscles have strained at times from looking down at the phone screen so fucking much. It is no bueno. When I'm on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Every chance I get, 5 a.m., good morning, let's fucking go. And it does not stop. However, when I'm off Twitter, I am off. I often tweet I am taking a vacation, unplug, break from Twitter, etc., Sometimes it is a complete failure and the break doesn't really happen. And sometimes it is a complete success lasting longer than initially planned. After these breaks, I always return with a more balanced approach. I have noticed <coughs> I am not the only one who feels this way as it is not uncommon to see phrases such as, I'll see you in a month. I'll see you guys at 100K. Taking a vacation from Twitter. There has got to be something to this. How is it that we have to force ourselves to take a break from something that we love so much? I am far from perfect, and if I am going to be brutally honest with myself, I feel like I am neglecting my own family involuntarily while engaging with my Bitcoin family. Yeah, I felt that way myself, by the way. Most times it feels like a trance. I am sucked in and I do not even consciously notice. I can spend the whole day just going down my timeline, dropping a comment here and there, and tweeting some hopium. Most Bitcoiners I have met generally mean well, like-minded people trying to be the best versions of themselves, the type of people that I try to surround myself with. Twitter is great and all, but it can also be a bit of a distraction if you are anything like me. I have a highly addictive personality, which is both a gift as well as a curse, depending on how it is utilized. Another character trait which seems to be not so uncommon among the Bitcoin community. Unfortunately, and fortunately, my highly addictive personality carries over to Bitcoin and Bitcoin Twitter. I've explained this to other Bitcoiners and they look at me and say, what the fuck are you talking about? It's just Twitter. Others strongly agree. While writing this, I've discovered the answer to my question. Quote, how is it that we have to force ourselves to take a break from something that we love so much, end quote. Because it's fucking awesome. I write this as a warning to others with highly addictive personalities like myself. If I like something, I want as much of it as possible. I can easily see negative results coming to the surface if I did not take these breaks from Bitcoin Twitter from time to time. I suspect these breaks will prolong my presence on the app, which I thoroughly enjoy. This is a marathon, not a sprint. The best part about a vacation is coming home. All right, so Boner for Bitcoin has some really good words of advice here about the use of and, and possible addiction of and to Bitcoin Twitter. And I felt it. I mean, I know exactly what he's talking about. Chances are good if you listen to this, you do too. So, you know, when I got deleted off of Twitter on January the 1st, and I discovered it January the 2nd in the morning because I picked up my phone and I was like, Something is very wrong. And I fought tooth and nail to get back on over the, la over the next five days and it, nothing worked. So I literally didn't, I didn't look at Twitter at all. And the only thing that I had for, you know, uh, toilet reading, honestly, was Mastodon and freaking Gitter. And Gitter, I'm sorry, like Gab, Gitter has turned into a shithole because it's just, and it's not because of right-wing extremists or right-wing non-extremists or conservatives that have been X'd off of other platforms. I honestly believe it's a combination of that, plus all the bots being run, or not bots, but all the scam accounts being run by the far left that's saying shit that's trying to get Gitter into trouble. They did the same thing with Gab. That's why we don't need another platform in this space. We need an aggregation mechanism to stitch together all of our separate accounts together into one thing that we can use. I don't know how it works, but I, I do know one thing. The more I think about it, the more it becomes clear of at least two things. 
we need a centralized, not centralized as in controlled by other centralized computers. I mean, for me, I need one identity that can prove itself to all my other identities and those other identities like my Twitter account, my LinkedIn account, Facebook, uh, Citadel uh, 21 account, or actually not Citadel 21, uh, Bitcoin TV. Citadel, like if I you know, was on the Citadel, or actually I am on the Citadel dispatch matrix, I want that identity to be able to look at my central identity and say, yes, the keys check out, you are definitely in control of me. If I were able to do that, I have a shot in hell of having somebody construct for me and all the rest of us, an aggregator, one that pulls all of our shit from Twitter, all of the replies to all of our shit from Twitter, all of our stuff from Facebook, all of, all of the stuff from all your social media platforms, no matter where they are, because it doesn't depend on that platform actually understanding the identity. I just need to be able to scrape the information from all those in a fashion that says, yes, your identity is confirmed. Your central identity is confirmed. You own this Twitter account. I am the Twitter account and I'm going to activate this third party software that is hopefully FOSS or free open source software that will scrape all your information and feed it to your central identities, aggregator, graphic user interface. No, I don't know what it looks like, but what I'm trying to get at is that stop making new platforms for freaks to go congregate to. Whether they're telling the truth about what they really believe on Gitter or whether they're lying through their teeth to get Twitter or Gitter in trouble like they did Gab, I don't care. I literally don't give a shit. What I want is to have a centralized way for me, uh, my centralization. You don't get to look at my centralized identity unless I want you to. It's centralized for me. And then it branches off into all of my platforms scrapes the information and then plugs it into something that way if linkedin decides to you know go weird on me i still have all of the identities of all the people that i know from all the other platforms and can cross reference them if they trust me enough to be able to talk to their central identity i know it gets weird I'm just saying that one more new platform is not going to fix you getting banned off of Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn or whatever the fuck it is that you use. It is not helping. It's actually making shit worse. Stop with the building of the protocols and platforms or the platforms. If you want to build something, build me a protocol that understands all the shit that I was just talking about. Let's run the numbers. Whoa, CNBC, futures and commodities, flammable liquids taking a bath today. West Texas Intermediate is down 1.8% to $83.56. Brent North Sea down a point and a half to $86.55. Natural gas down 0.7 to $3.96 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down 1.37% to $2.40 per gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold is up a quarter of a point to $1,835.60. Silver is down, good, my God, 2.36% to $23.74. Platinum, likewise, down over two points. Copper also down over two point, was it two points? Actually, 2.24. Uh, palladium is up one and a half points. Agricultural futures are mostly down but there's a few winners here today and wheat wheat is the clear winner one point percentage point up to the upside cotton is up a third everything else is down the biggest loser of the day is going to be chocolate 2.76 percent to the downside sorry bubba i know you have chocolate over there and at your farm over there across on the other side of the world so hope this isn't screwing with you too much bubba will know who he is uh, let's see. <clears throat> Cattle lean hogs uh, are all down today. 1.35%, 1.32% for lean hogs, 1.12% uh, for another version of cattle. There's LV cattle and FD cattle. I'm assuming live cattle is LV cattle. I'm thinking feed cattle is 
cattle chilled out in a feedlot. I don't know. Somebody who knows about ranching, please slap my ass and get me straight on how the how to read livestock futures because I'd like to start including them. Uh, Dow futures. Everybody, by the way, legacy markets taking a fucking bath today too. So don't feel left out, right? Uh, Dow futures down 1.59%. S&P futures down 1.87%. NASDAQ futures down over 2%. S&P mini down (laughs) 1.69%. Real money also down to $33,739.60. 232,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is a scant 9,672 transactions per hour and only 613 BT or 613,000 BTC has changed hands in the last 24 hours that is 25,575 BTC on average per hour with an average transaction value of 2.64 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.014 BTC, or about 478 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes, 28 seconds. 0.05 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, damn near nine BTC taken in fees over the last 24 hour period. With a 3.8% rise in hash rate, we are at 190 exahashes per second. The all-time high was 217 exahashes per second. So even with this massive, massive blood rainstorm going on, miners are undeterred. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin at 13.1 United States pennies. I can't believe it. 7,438 transactions are waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $636.9 billion, which is (laughs) 5.28% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 18.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,938,635 and a quarter. 3,352 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $112.7 million, being run over, holy shit, 19,180 nodes, sporting 84,500 payment channels, 67, no, 76, got some dyslexia going on here, 76.4% of all that shit being run over, Tor Network, 2,562 and a quarter BTC are being handled by 11,373 Tor-based Lightning Network nodes that we know about, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine's Nomsios kicks it off with... A third valid block, solo Bitcoin miner with only 86 terahashes finds that valid block. For the third time in a little over 10 days, a solo Bitcoin miner has found a valid block to take the full Coinbase reward reward home. The small worker with only about 86 terahashes per second of hash rate capacity, managed to successfully mine a new block on the Bitcoin network, earning a block reward of 6.25 BTC and over 0.3 BTC in fees. Quote, congratulations to another miner with approximately 86 terahashes, solving a solo block on solo.ckpool.org, tweeted Solo CK Pool Administrator Dr. Khan Kolovas. Quote, there are a lot more miners now on the Solo Pool, and if enough people are mining Solo, someone will eventually be the lucky one, as here. End quote. Although the lucky miner had about 86 terahashes of average hash rate capacity over the past seven days, it seems that they had less than 10% of that on board when it was actually successfully mining that particular block. Quote, this miner had been varying the amount of hash rate they were mining solo with, and at the time they solved it, had only 8.3 terahashes on board, Kolovas said in a reply tweet. The solo miner added block number 720.175 to the Bitcoin blockchain at about 6 a.m. UTC on Monday to kickstart the work week, earning over $215,000 in unseizable hard money. 
Solo CK pool miners have found luck more than once in the past couple of weeks. On January the 11th, a solo miner with 120 terahashes hit the jackpot by successfully adding a new block to the blockchain and receiving a reward, reward of over 700, nope, $270,000 at the time. Dyslexia kicking in hard today. Only a couple of days later, another solo worker with only 116 terahashes per second managed to find a valid block and take over 260,000 in rewards when the block was added to the Bitcoin blockchain. Quote, to be clear, this is not a sentinel event. There is nothing wrong with proof of work. Bitcoin is not broken. My solo mining service doesn't have a back door to solve blocks faster. With enough miners mining, someone eventually solves a block and it can be a miner of any size, Kolova said in another reply tweet, given the increased number of solo miners in his pool that have been able to add a new block. Wow, okay, so is this a marketing ploy? <laughs> Well, no, unless he owns the miners under, you know, all the Kolovas owns the miners that uh, that won those blocks himself and is not saying anything. And he's just, you know, really, really, really advertising the shit out of it. Then no, uh, but he is taking the uh, uh, he is taking the time to uh, tell people about his pool without these three blocks being mined. I would have never known about CK solo pool. I'm still kind of shocked that this thing has come on the scene this fast. And it does, it does cause me, it, it, it does make me pause and think, well, is it possible this is just a marketing ploy? I don't know. And there's no way I'm ever going to find out why, because it's Bitcoin, bitch. Now, why January is a historic month for Bitcoin. Let's go into it. Dion Gulame is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Sorry, I probably butchered your last name. It's not on purpose. It's just a thing that happens over here at Bitcoin and. It's almost difficult to believe that later in 2022, Bitcoin will celebrate its 14th birthday. Over the last 14 years, Bitcoin has made great strides, growing ridiculously and setting itself up to usurp the US dollar as the world's reserve currency. Now, let's, let's start with some of the other fiat reserve currencies first, okay? Although Bitcoin has been around for what seems forever, the month of January has been important over the years with several historic events and milestones in Bitcoin's past. 2009, the dawn of Bitcoin. On January 3rd, 2009, months after publishing the Bitcoin white paper, Satoshi Nakamoto made history when he mined the Bitcoin Genesis block, signing it with the message, The Times, January 3rd, 2009, Chancellor on Brink of Second Bailout for Banks, officially launching the Bitcoin network and highlighting some of the financial turmoil that inspired his invention of Bitcoin. A mere six days later, on January the 9th, the first Bitcoin 0.1 client was released, enabling users to perform Bitcoin transactions and paving the way for the first Bitcoin transaction to take place on January the 12th, when Satoshi Nakamoto sent Hal Finney 10 BTC on block number 170. 2010. Nearly everyone knows the story of Laszlo Hynix, who famously paid 10,000 BTC for two large pizzas in May 2010, and it has largely been accepted as the first real-world purchasing using Bitcoin. However, on January 24th, 2010, a Bitcoin Talk forum user, Sabunir, posted a thread in the forum titled, A Noob's Test, Anyone Want to Buy a Picture for a Dollar? where he asked if anyone wanted to purchase a wallpaper for $1 in Bitcoin. He posted his wallet address, and a mere month later, two freshly mined batches of 50 BTC were sent to his address, which may very well have been someone purchasing his wallpaper, a simple 1280 by 960 image that is no longer available on the forum post. If this purchase did in fact happen, it would be the true first real-world purchase using Bitcoin and another milestone for the digital currency that we know today. 2011. On January the 20th, 2011, the Electronic Frontier Foundation made history by becoming the first nonprofit organization to accept donations in Bitcoin paving the way for many others in the years to come. By June 2010, they would stop accepting donations right before WikiLeaks started accepting Bitcoin donations, but they would resume accepting Bitcoin again by May of 2013. 
Another historic occurrence happened in January 2011 when three people each bought four BTC at a rate of, what the hell is this? Oh, <clears throat> was it 100 trillion Zimbabwean dollars using an OTC service? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> to this day, it continues to be the largest ever single numeric value traded for Bitcoin, 2012. Bitcoin had started making waves across the world and it was featured on The Good Wife Season 3, Episode 13, titled Bitcoin for Dummies. It saw a lawyer being defended for not rival revealing the identity of his client who supposedly created Bitcoin. The episode, which aired on January 15th, recorded 9.5 million U.S. viewers watching when a single Bitcoin cost just $6.90. It was the first instance of Bitcoin being featured in the mainstream media outside of news broadcast. <clears throat> 2013, three years after going live and nearly five years after its initial introduction, investors started taking notice of Bitcoin related startups. On January the 7th, BitPay, a Bitcoin payment service provider founded in 2011, became the first Bitcoin related startup to raise venture capital funding with a $510,000 funding round. It would raise an additional $2 million later that year. 2014, by January 2014, things were heating up as more and more companies started accepting payments in Bitcoin. Zynga, the mobile developer behind everyone's favorite mobile games such as Farmville, announced plans on January the 4th to allow users to make in-game purchases using Bitcoin. Initially, it was limited to only seven titles while the company tested payments using BitPay's infrastructure. Later that month, on January the 21st, two Las Vegas hotels and casinos announced plans to start accepting Bitcoin in select parts of their properties. The D Las Vegas Casino Hotel and Golden Gate Hotel and Casino became the first properties in Sin City to start accepting Bitcoin long before it became the mainstream currency that it is today. Interestingly enough, the February 2014 physical copy of Bitcoin Magazine written in January 2014 would later be exhibited at the National Museum of American History by the Smithsonian Institute. 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my entry point into Bitcoin, just saying. Bitcoin kicked off 2015 quite turbulently, seeing one of its largest monthly declines at the time with a 30.9% dumping during the course of January 2015. Not all was bad back then, however. Coinbase's $75 million Series C was noted as the largest fundraising for a Bitcoin-related company at the time, launching its Coinbase exchange later that month. At the time, Coinbase focused exclusively on Bitcoin and had helped companies such as Overstock, Dell, Expedia, Dish Network, and Time Incorporated start accepting Bitcoin payments. It would also partner with payment providers Stripe, Braintree, and PayPal to process Bitcoin payments. 2016. January 2016 saw the first of many failed Bitcoin forks being introduced with Bitcoin Classic entering the ring. It wouldn't last long, but would inspire many others to launch Bitcoin forks, most of them as part of a quick cash grab. Bitcoin, as the only true Bitcoin, would continue to see tremendous growth and adoption over the years to come. And interestingly, the Bitcoin network hash rate would also end up exceeding one exahash per second for the first time in January 2016. 2017. January 2017 started off an overly bullish year, which saw Bitcoin surpassing $1,000 for the first time in three years. It would later run to just under $20,000 before a dramatic decline in late 2017. 2018. After its dramatic surge in late 2017, January 2018 saw one of the largest global governmental FUD campaigns against Bitcoin. During that month, the banks and governments of Bahrain, Bosnia, Herzegovina, China, Ecuador, Egypt, Ghana, Honduras, India, Indonesia, Kyrgyzstan, Kosovo, Mozambique, Netherlands, New Zealand, Poland, Slovenia, South Korea, and Tajikistan strongly opposed Bitcoin as a currency. Have fun staying poor, motherfuckers. By or more countries would follow in the months thereafter. And by the end of January 2018, Facebook would ban all cryptocurrency-related ads from its global platform. 
It wasn't all doom and gloom back then as Samsung partnered with the Chinese firm to start creating chips and semiconductors for Bitcoin miners. A Swiss municipality started accepting Bitcoin payments and the Peter Thiel Foundation bought Bitcoin. 2019 and beyond. <clears throat> After the dramatic fall at the end of 2017 and early 2018, Bitcoin hardly left the public eye. Instead, the cautious investor slowly accumulated more and more while Bitcoin went on ups and downs throughout the remainder of 2018 and most of 2019. Leading up to the eventual halving in May 2020, Bitcoin started a dramatic surge in the later part of 2019, right before the global COVID-19 pandemic. Although nothing overly significant took place during these times, Bitcoin did surpass 40 grand for the first time during January 2021 leading to its historic $1 trillion market cap not too long thereafter. Additionally, January 2022 hasn't been without its historic happenings either. On January the 2nd, the Bitcoin hash rate exceeded 203.5 exahashes per second for the first time, rising over 200x from the preceding six years. Bitcoin celebrates many historic milestones during the month of January. One may even call it Bitcoin's true birth month if one considers the network went live in January 2029 when the first block was actually mined. All things considered in the end, January should be a month of celebration for everyone in the community. Looking back at years of milestones, growth, and the building of a global lasting community. Yeah, there's some hopium for you, and that's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people that just blast hopium like it's just, like, silly. Everybody needs hopium. Even if Bitcoin wasn't here, we'd be finding hopium in various other places. It doesn't really matter. So, you know, give it, give it, a, give people a break, y'all. Give people a break. Uh, January 6th, United States Committee hits rioters with subpoenas over Bitcoin donations. Scott Cipollina probably going to badmouth Bitcoin in this piece from Decrypt.co, the United States Senate Select Committee. On the January 6, 2021, Capitol Hill riot has subpoenaed Nick Fuentes and Patrick Casey, two far-right extremists who reportedly received Bitcoin, oh my God, from a French donor before the riot itself. Quote, the select committee is seeking facts about the planning, coordination, and funding of events that preceded the violent attack on our democracy. <laughs> you know, they were staying inside the roped lines. It was, it was mayhem as they walked silently and carefully through the hall of statues on, you know, well with inside the red velvet rope thing that you're not supposed to get past. It was pure chaos. It was mayhem at the Capitol building. Oh my God. We believe the individuals we have subpoenaed today have information relevant to those questions and we expect them to cooperate with the committee. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson said earlier this week, quote, the committee will continue to push forward to get answers from the, for the American people and help ensure nothing like January 6th ever happens again. Fuentes and Casey are far-right extremists who were both present at Capitol Hill on January the 6th, 2021. Their affiliation with the far-right is well-documented. Really? Because I don't know either one of these assholes. Oh, well. Both individuals have repeatedly supported claims that President Biden's election victory was not legitimate, and both have called for the destruction of the Republican Party. On December the 8th, 2020, a now-deceased French donor donated $500,000 to 22 separate wallets affiliated with far-right extremism, including Fuentes' and Casey's. Quote, I care about what happens after my death. That's why I decided to leave my modest wealth to certain causes and people, wrote the donor in a suicide note dated December 9th, 2021. Yeah, he probably didn't, he probably didn't kill himself. Whatever. Fuentes' subpoena letter makes explicit references to this donation. Quote, less than a month before the Capitol attack, you, Fuentes, reportedly received a large donation of Bitcoin worth more than $250,000 that the FBI is reportedly scrutinizing to assess whether the money was linked to the Capitol attack or otherwise used to fund illegal acts. It reads, quote, the select committee seeks documents regarding these and other matters that are within the scope of the select committee's inquiry. The same is true of Casey's subpoena letter. 
Quote, you, Casey, reportedly received about $250,000 worth of Bitcoin from a French computer programmer. Funds the FBI have reportedly scrutinized to assess whether funds from this donor were linked to the capital attack. The letter reads, according to Chain Analysis, other recipients of Bitcoin included the anti-immigration organization VDARE and the far-right streamer Ethan Ralph. These two subpoenas are just the latest when it comes to the far right's increasing reliance on Bitcoin as a means of fundraising. Oh, bullshit, Scott. Stop it. In July 2021, the Financial Action Task Force published a report documenting a plethora of far right groups and individuals that have gravitated to Bitcoin. These groups include... Oh, sorry, these include groups like Belgium's Schild and Verinden and the Nordic Resistance Movement, Brenton Tarrant, who murdered 51 and injured 40 in the oh, sorry, 2019 Christchurch mosque shooting, was also listed in the report. Oh my God, it just goes on and on. Scott's just really making the case for how bad Bitcoin is. Why do you even write for Decrypt at this point? I mean, it, uh, I mean, there are some articles in Decrypt that are good, that are written by good Bitcoins, Bitcoiners. But there's also this crap from Scott Cipollina, who has proven himself time and time and time and time again to just hate Bitcoin and will use any excitement whatsoever around Bitcoin being used by far-right extremists or how it poisons the environment or how it does some other X, Y, and Z that's bad, bad, bad. That's all he writes about. That's all Scott writes about. Every single article from Scott is the same shit over and over and over again. So fuck you, Scott. Have fun staying poor. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday is the best day of the week to start with a joke. Dad says jokes. Yesterday, the doctor told me that I was colorblind. The diagnosis came out of the purple. I'll let you ruminate on that for a while. Um, if you want to support the show and you don't want to get into podcasting 2.0, run your own lightning node, or do any of those particular things, that's completely understandable. And I have a method for you to do that. Uh, you can, if you so choose, uh, support me with Dirty Stinky Fiat over at the Bitcoin and Podcast Patreon page. That's Bitcoin and Podcast, all one word. You can find me over there. Shoot me some of those uh, stinky dollars if you would like, and I will gladly accept them. And the, I, I cleared out so you know, for the, those people that are supporting me so far, I don't know if I mentioned this. But I cleaned out the account and immediately, and, and I, I've linked Stripe. Okay, I'm, I know. I, I shouldn't do this. It's OPSEC perilous, but fuck it, whatever. They use Stripe. I linked it to my routing, the routing number of Strike, not Stripe is talking to Strike with a K, right? That's Jack Maller's thing. I linked the routing number and account number that Stripe gave me to Stripe. And when that deposit happened, because I had Strike set to 100% purchase Bitcoin on the pay me in Bitcoin thing, it's basically the pay me in Bitcoin isn't just looking for a paycheck. It's looking for anything that is deposited into your Strike account and it is immediately converted to Bitcoin. So I immediately converted all the cash without even, I didn't even have to do anything because I had it set to 100%. It just went straight into Bitcoin and I got an alert and I'm like, oh, wow, look. That did not happen during the dip, by the way. I, I should have waited. But, you know, what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. It's like, oh, I should have bought yesterday or I should have bought early this morning at about five o'clock this morning. You know, that kind of shit. If you if you go that route of when you should have bought by, you know, high, using hindsight, it's going to drive you crazy. So don't do that. Second piece of advice. If every single time you buy Bitcoin and it immediately goes down, it's not you. You don't have. I'm sorry. I love all of you, but you're not that fucking important, okay? And 
If you think that it's your luck that caused everybody in the world who is into Bitcoin to have a bad day, you're not that important. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with your bad luck. It was a coincidence. We are in seriously weird times right now when it comes to Bitcoin, volume, price, the fact that we have five ETFs that are future-based derivatives. We still don't have a spot ETF in the United States. Come on. There are all these actors that are working together, whether in concert or just accidentally with each other. And it brings up a cacophony of bullshit that you have to wade through. The last thing I want you to have to figure out is whether or not it was your fault that the price crashed or whether it was your fault that you didn't wait to buy the dip. Dude, you know how you get over that shit? You just daily cost average. 25 bucks a week, 100 bucks a week, $1,000 a month, whatever it is you want to do. Shit, if, as, as far as I can remember, I think Cash App allows you to buy Bitcoin every single minute if you set it up that way, where you can buy $5 a minute. I saw a dude actually was buying like 25 bucks a minute the other day. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, the guy's apparently just like got fiat money raining down on him or something, but he's a smart Joe. Why? Because he converted it into Bitcoin. I'm just saying, it's not your fault whether or not you didn't wait to buy the dip or if you did buy what you thought was the dip that it caused it to move down further. If you really think that way, if you let that get into your head, it's poison and it does you and those around you and anybody else that you communicate with, however you communicate with them, absolutely no good. And it, it burns your heart. It melts your brain. It's not healthy. Just DCA and say, ah, shit. Like my DCAs are on Wednesdays at about, I don't know, somewhere around eight o'clock in the morning. And over the last few weeks, inherently it's like every time I buy one, it immediately goes down. But I'm forgetting. Remember that article that we read earlier, we have short memories. On the run-up, every Wednesday that I was buying on the morning, it went up after that. Did I cause that? No. Is my DCA causing the Bitcoin price to dump? No. It has nothing to do with me. I'm not that important. My luck is not that important. But what will happen if you actually start thinking that way, and there are people that think that way, it's a poison and you must get it out of your body. So please do that. Please understand, nothing is your fault. You're not that important. Well, you're important to me. So with that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.